The fourth query is this. Wherein appears the difference of a godly man's making confession of sin unto God and between those confessions of sin and wicked men? And there are these <clears throat> eight differences. First, holy confession in godly men makes the soul to be more active and inquisitive after cure, remedy, and pardon for sin. Holy confession makes the soul industrious. I confess sin, but how shall I subdue sin? I acknowledge sin, but how shall I get pardon for sin? It makes it inquire how to get cure and remedy for the evils which were uh, before confessed. Job 7.20, I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? I have sinned. There is his confession. Lord, what shall I do? There is his industry. Thus the Jews, they were convinced by Peter of their great sin, insomuch as they cried out, What shall we do to be saved? But false confession leaves men idle and careless. Confess they do, but they are not inquisitive how to get pardon for those sins they do confess. Secondly, holy confession of sin unto God in godly men is attended with remorse of conscience and with grief of heart. Psalm 38.18 For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. There is confession and sorrow joined together. Hosea 12.4 Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. Whilst confessions are in the mouth, there will be either tears in the eye or sorrow in the heart, if confession be true. The wicked confess sin, but they never grieve for the sins they have committed. They are not ashamed, neither can they blush in the prophet's language. Thirdly, a godly man in confession of sin hath more freedom of spirit to confess his particular sins in secret than he hath in public. I have poured out my soul before God, saith the psalmist. Confession of sin is a pouring out of the soul before God. He that can pour forth complaints against sin in secret more than in public is a gracious man. The wicked are only for confession of sin before men and not before God. Fourthly, godly men confess sin freely, out of a willingness. They have to be rid of sin. Wicked men confess sin with confessions extorted and drawn from them as men on a rack, whether they will or no. Godly men confess sin freely. They are freely willing to part with their lusts, therefore they confess them to God. Job 32.18 For I am full of matter, the spirit within me constraineth me. Verse 19, Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. Verse 20, I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Thus a godly man in confessing sin, his belly is as it were burst with new wine. He must needs have vent, else he is broken. He must needs confess sin. His sin drives him to God. But confession is extorted and wrested from wicked men. It was the plagues of Egypt upon Pharaoh that wrung confession from him. Before these, he would say, Who is the Lord? It was pangs and horror of conscience in Judah, Judas that uh, uh, forced him to acknowledge 
that he had sinned in betraying innocent blood. Mariners cast over their goods, not that they hate them, but as they are forced to do it, to escape drowning. When there is a storm and a tempest in their consciences, then men are forced to confess sin. It is by compulsion. It is not voluntary. Fifthly, a godly man is conscious to confess secret and small sins as well as gross wickedness. David confessed his pride and carnal confidence in numbering the people as well as his adultery with Bathsheba. David confessed the cutting off of the the lap of Saul's garment as well as uh, spilling the blood of Uriah. But hypocrites confess their gross sins but not their small sins. Cain confessed his murder, but not his envy. Cain confessed his murder, but not his bad offering. They confessed their gross sins, but not their smaller. Pharaoh confessed his oppression of the children of Israel, but he did not confess the secret hardness of his heart. But godly men, though they have not so many gross and open evils, yet small and secret evils, pinch their consciences and troubles their spirit. Those evils which will not break a wicked man's sleep will break their hearts. What though they have not uncleanness in the flesh? What though they have escaped the pollutions of the world? Yet they know they have secret and inward defilements on uh, uh, on the spirit, and these they bewail, and these they acknowledge to God. A sixth difference is this, that godly men are distinct and clear to confess these particular special evils that have most predominancy over them. Beloved, observe this. Wicked men in their uh, confessions are confused and only run in general that they are sinners, just like Ahamaz when he would bring tidings to David touching the issue of the battle with Joab and Absalom. Saith he, I saw a tumult, And I heard a noise, but I know nothing. Wicked men will tell you that their sins do make a noise within them, but they cannot, they they can tell you nothing distinctly and nothing particularly, but only go at random. Wicked men in confessing sin are like Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 2. He dreamt something, but he could not tell what it was. Wicked men dream of sins and think of them as confusedly as a man in a dream. But when, how, and where, and with what aggravating circumstances, they know not. They have not a distinct and clear view of their corruptions. Thus Bellarmine did show his wickedness in saying he was not wicked when he was on his deathbed. And his confessor came to him to have him confess his sin to him, saith uh, Bellarmine, I do not know of any sin in myself to confess. This was not the holiness of the man, but the heedlessness that he did not observe his ways. Donatus, the great ringleader of the Donatists, saith, "Uh, O Lord, I have nothing that thou shouldest pardon me. Beloved, this doth arise from stupidity, that men see not sin, and doth not arise from holiness, but from heedlessness and carelessness. It is an observation that one hath on Job, saith Job, I have sinned, 
and cause me to know mine iniquity and my transgression and my sin. Whilst Job made this complaint that he had sinned, God saith, in all this, Job sinned not. And that is not absolutely, but meaning comparatively. Beloved, to be free in complaints and to be full in confession of sins does not argue that you have more sin than other men have, but it argues that you have more fight than other men have and the less sin you have in you. Seventhly, uh, godly men confess sin out of a uh, sight and sense of sin as it is dishonorable to God rather than as it is a shame and a reproach unto themselves. In Psalm 51, saith David, against thee, thee only, have I sinned. It was against Uriah that he had sinned, but against thee, thee only, have I sinned, for thou wast dishonored by my sin. When the Apostle speaks of repentance, he calls it repentance towards God. Acts twenty twenty one, Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. To note that where sorrow and confession of sin is true, it is more out of a sense of sin as it is against God than as it is against self. But wicked men never confess sin as it is a dishonor to God, but as it contracts a guilt and a shame on themselves. Lastly, holy confession of sin in a godly in godly men leaves a holy awe and a dread upon the heart, making them afraid to commit the sin after they have confessed it, making them afraid to come to the occasion of that sin uh, which they have con- confessed. And thus you read Acts 19.18, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Verse 19, Many also of them which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them, before all men, etc. He speaks of their sorcery and witchcraft. They would burn their books that there should not be an occasion of committing again that sin which they confessed unto God. Beloved, this is holy confession. And thou shalt come to God on thy knees in secret, and there bewail a lust, and thy confession leaves a holy awe and dread on thy soul to take heed on that sin thou hast confessed. A godly man may commit a sin which he hath confessed, but yet he retains a fear and awe upon his heart that it shall not prevail over him in his practice. Wicked men confess sin, and they have committed, yet they are bold and adventurous to commit the same sin again which they have confessed. <clears throat> and thus the harlot did, Proverbs 7.14, I have peace offerings with me. This day I have paid my vows. Paying the vow is a confession that I am in debt to God for, for my sin, and I owe God homage and service. Yet she made the confession of sin to be a means to provoke her to be more bold and adventurous in her wickedness. To confess drunkenness, and afterwards to be drunk. To confess profaneness, and afterwards to profane. This is the bold adventurousness, adventurousness of wicked men. And thus Pharaoh in Exodus 9 confessed his sin, and afterwards, when the plagues were over, runs into the same sin he did confess. And this is the badge and portraiture 
of a wicked man. And thus I have done with this fourth particular. And now come to the use. First, by way of reproof, there are three sorts of persons in whose breasts the arrow and dart of reproof must justly stick. If so be justified persons are bound to make confession of sin unto God, then it reproves. First, the antinomists, who account it a legal and a servile work for believers to be bemoaning themselves unto God and confessing sin unto God. Therefore, in their prayers, when you may be cast to hear them in public, all their expressions in prayer are either extolling the majesty of God or the excellency of Christ, the glory of heaven, the riches of grace, but not a word of laying low the creature in prayer, but raptures in prayer, and the extolling of divine majesty. These are all the dialects of expressions which they use in prayer. Now to overthrow this, first, confession of sin to God hath been practiced by all the godly under the Old Testament, and therefore, why should it uh, not be used under the New Daniel 9, he made a prayer to God, and it consisted of uh, 16 verses, and 14 of them verses were spent in confessing of sin. And thus the godly in Nehemiah's days made a prayer to God, and the whole prayer consisted of 32 verses, and 31 of them verses were spent in confession of sin. Nehemiah 1.6, Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Thus David, 2 Samuel 24.10, And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. <clears throat> that is one thing to confute this practice. Secondly, <clears throat> not only believers under the Old Testament, but also converts under the New Testament, did make conscience of confessing of sin unto God. John 3, 6, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins, Acts 19.18, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds, Luke 15.17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. It is an emblem of a convert. If so, be it be a parable. In the instance of the publican that Christ declares was justified rather than the Pharisee, Luke eighteen thirteen, and the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now, beloved, when you have instances in the Old Testament and many examples in the New, why then should we blot out so useful a part of God's worship as this, of confession to God in secret? Thirdly, God doth command 
confession of sin unto him. Jeremiah 3.12 Go and proclaim these words towards the north, and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, etc. Fourthly, God, both in the Old Testament and in the New, hath annexed many gracious promises to a sincere confession of sin unto him. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 26.40, If they shall confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers, with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and uh, that also they have walked contrary to me, verse 41, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, etc., if they confess their iniquity, I will remember them. Proverbs 28.13 He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Job 33.27 He looketh upon men, and if any say I have sinned and perverted that which is right, and it profited me not, etc. And in the New Testament, in 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, beloved, put all these four together. The godly have practiced this under the Old Testament, converts under the New. God hath commanded it, and he hath recompensed it. Therefore, those that account confession of sin to be but a legal and servile work deserve reproof. The second reproof is uh, to those of the popish religion who, instead of secret confession of sin to God in prayer, depress vehemently auricular confession in the ear of the priest. Touching this auricular confession, they spend many volumes for to make good the divine right of it. The Council of Trent do lay an anathema on any that shall not count auricular confession to be necessary to salvation. There are these several mistakes and errors in the popish doctrine of auricular confession. First, they urge the necessity of it, that you must not expect salvation without it. Secondly, confession against whom, against what you did, uh, what you did it, all the circumstances of your sins, you must acknowledge to the priest. Thirdly, that the priest, upon your confession, hath power from Christ to give you pardon to give you absolution. These go current with them about auricular confession. That you might see this is blameworthy and worthy of reproof, I shall confute it by these considerations. First, consideration of the time when auricular confession came first in use in the Church. Ecclesiastical historians tell us that for 800 years after Christ, there was no such practice in the Church of God, and that the law of auricular confession <clears throat> was not enacted until Pope Innocent III, which was about 1,200 years after Christ. And the first council that did establish auricular confession was the Lateran Council, and after that, the Council of Trent. The Church of God 
in the primitive times, having no such practice, it may be exploded from being now in the Church of God. Secondly, why did the popes invent auricular confession? One doth demonstrate this. First, there is this reason. It is a notable invention to discover the secrets of men's thoughts, both in church and state. Secondly, it is a means to get money for the Pope. For according as the sin confessed is more capital and notorious, so the more money must be given for indulgence and pardon. Thus a reverend divine calls it the picklock of sacramental confession. This being enacted merely out of state policy, to know men's secret thoughts and temper, and likewise uh, to bring in profit and revenues to the see of Rome, which doth show the practice to be unjustifiable. Thirdly, consider what the scripture doth press concerning confession unto men. Mark the text, James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The scripture doth not tie us to a priest as the popish religion ties them, but it it ties us that in anguish of conscience and trouble of mind we confess to any who are able to give us wholesome counsel from the Lord. A good note our Protestant interpreters have against the papists. The apostle bids, if a man be sick, call for the elders of the church, and they were to pray for him. But he doth not bid them confess sin unto the elders, but confess sin one to another, which doth no way tie to confess sin to a priest. But this is a point of controversy, and blessed be God, this church, not tainted with this error. Therefore I shall leave it. This is the second sort that is to be reproved to it, those of the popish religion who, instead of confession of sin unto God, Bring in auricular confession to the priest. Thirdly, this doctrine reproves those who, to avoid the popish auricular confession to the pri- to the priest, deny all kind of confession of sin unto men. There are many faulty, many who keep the devil's counsel, <clears throat> who groan under strong corruptions, yet will never open their minds to have counsel and prayer from other men. There are some peculiar and select cases wherein we are not only bound to confess sin unto God, but to confess sin unto men. But before I handle this, I uh, take these two cautions. First caution is this, that you are not to confess sin needlessly to men, but when there is a great and an urgent necessity, when you are exceedingly troubled in in conscience and cannot be comforted, In such a case, you may go to men to acknowledge what sins trouble your consciences, but to confess sin needlessly to men you are not called. God doth not uh, love, saith Christostom, that we should go to men to reveal our shame, but go to God, unless the case be very urgent, that by all the means ye can use, ye, ye cannot ease yourselves, then are ye to confess to men in that case." Secondly, that when ye are to confess sin to men, you are not to confess sin to every one. You are to confess sin to those that are compassionate, that are of ability to pray for you, to those who have wisdom and can counsel you, to those who have pity that can uh, compassionate you, 
to those who have experience that can advise you, to those that can give counsel and keep counsel. You are not to confess your faults to any but to those you think are tender-hearted to be able to pray for you. Beloved, if a man should be indiscreet and lavish in confession and confess his sin to everybody, it may be some would jeer and reproach him. Chrysostom, in his homily on Dives and Lazarus, hath this expression, If thou confess thy sin in some men's ears, they will cast thy sins in thy face in a way of scorn. Some men would deal with you as the Pharisees did with Judas. Judas, when he was smitten in conscience for sin, came to the Pharisees and said to them, Here is your money again, for I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. Say they, What is that to us? Look you to it, for what you have done. So men will express no pity, and will give no counsel, and therefore there must be wisdom in revealing of your sins to other men. Thus you have the cautions prescribed unto you. Now in what cases is it meet that men should confess their sins to men as well as unto God? I shall resolve this to you in four cases. First, in case of public scandal given to the church, whereof thou art a member, by falling into some notorious and known sin, when thy sin becomes infamous and known to all that live about thee, and the congregation where thou dost communicate is blemished by the fall, by thy fall, in that case uh, thou art bound to make a confession, to confess thy sin to the church. David fell into the sin of adultery, and the sin was known among all the Gentiles, insomuch that the enemies of God spoke ill of religion and spoke ill of God. What does David do to recompense the wrong done to the church? He makes the 51st Psalm, which was not for his private use only, but for public use. Mark the title which he doth give it, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. This psalm was permitted to be sung in the sanctuary and in the temple, that so the church of God, being scandalized by David's sin, should be satisfied by David's public confession and repentance. Beloved, this is equitable because the communicants of a congregation, of a church, are offended by thy scandal, and whilst thy sin is notorious, they are scrupled. Therefore, there must be a public repentance. And besides, public scandal given by any member of the church may bring God's wrath on the congregation if the offender doth not confess his sin. Joshua 22.20 Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Achan sinned alone, but he did not perish alone. The wrath of God fell upon all the congregation. Therefore, for the good of the congregation... And church, whereof thou art a member, if thy sin becomes notorious and known, thou art bound to confess it. Not that every private sin must be confessed to the church, but in case of public scandal, thou art then to compensate to the congregation to manifest thy confession. A second case wherein you are to confess sin to men is in case of private injury done to thy neighbor in case of wrong 
personal injury done to thy neighbor, thou art to confess sin unto him. Matthew five twenty three and 24, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. If thy brother can say thou hast done him wrong, then go first to thy brother and be reconciled to him. Christ directs that in case of private and personal wrongs I am bound to make confession and give all just satisfaction to the man whom I have wronged. And this Christ adviseth further in Luke seventeen three and 4. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Christ doth here intimate that we are to confess sin to our brother whom we have wronged, to private men against whom we have done private injuries, not only to God, but to them. That is a second case wherein confession of sin is required to men as well as to God. Thirdly, you are to confess sin to men as well as to God in case of extreme trouble of conscience for some particular sin which you have done against God. When conscience flies in thy face, thou canst neither eat nor drink nor sleep nor be quiet. Thy conscience doth so pursue thee with terror. If thou canst not by any help of thine own get a quiet and a calm conscience, in such a case thou mayst go to a godly and experienced friend, make thy own choice, to reveal thy case. This is the intent of the Apostle's expression, James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. That is, when you are in extreme anguish and perplexity of conscience, thou art troubled for sin, then confess thy sin to other men and desire them to pray for thee. And in confessing to men, you are not to confess all your sins, but only that particular sin that most troubles conscience when you go to a physician, you will discover no more to him than where the sore lies. You are to confess no more to men than that particular evil that conscience troubles you most for. The fourth and last case is this, to confess sin to those that have been companions and co-partners with you in sin. In that case, you are to go to men to confess sin as well as to God. There are some interpreters that do expound that place in James 5.16, confess your faults one to another. That is, those that have been partners together in sin, they should go one to another to confess their sins. If you have been a drunkard, go to thy companion and tell him, thy conscience smiteth thee for thy sin. You have that have been unclean together, if God hath troubled thy conscience for thy uncleanness, why go to thy partner and in sin, and tell her, God hath troubled thy conscience for thy lust. And it may be, this may awaken her conscience too. I remember what I have read of Austin when God hath converted him from frolic, ruffian-like companions. He went to his companions and told them, Sirs, I have often been drunken with you. I have been unchaste with you. I have been as bad as you, nay, worse than you. Therefore I beseech you, leave your wickedness. And it did grieve him that a woman with whom he had been unclean died before he was converted, so that he did never tell her how his conscience 
smote him for his uncleanness. Eusebius relates that John the Evangelist, riding a journey, was met by a company of thieves, amongst whom was a young man, their captain, whom John did convert. And the story saith that this young man, now converted by John's wholesome counsel, went to all his fellow thieves and advised them in the name of Jesus Christ that they would not walk in that way of wickedness. He was troubled in conscience and therefore gave them earnest counsel that as they loved their souls, they would not walk in that way of wickedness. And by that means, many of these great robbers became great converts. In like manner, do ye to those that know of your drunkenness, of your adultery, etc. Confess your sins. As Demosthenes said to the harlot, I am not the same man I was. And it may be that so their consciences may be awakened, and they startled for it, and bethink themselves of their wicked courses, and God may work a change in them as he hath done in you. <clears throat> there is one use more of this point, and that is for lamentation to humble you in the presence of God, that seeing God calls you to confess sin to him, you have so many palpable and manifest defects in secret confessing of your sins to God. Now, beloved, there are ten usual defects to which not only the wicked but the godly are liable in their confession of sins to God. The first defect in confession of sin unto God is this, that when men come to confess sin to God, they have such a barrenness and confusion on their spirits. They cannot call to remembrance their particular sins to confess them. Hildersam hath a good note descanting on them uh, words in First John one eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And saith he, if we say that we have no sin, there is no man so gross to say that he hath no sin. For his own practice will belie his tongue. But it is when we come to God, we do as in effect say so. When we do not know what sin to confess to God, we are so confused and heedless in observing our own ways that we do not know what to confess in prayer unto God and that the apostle condemns. This was the fault of Bellarmine. When his confessor came unto him, Bellarmine did protest unto him that he did not know one sin that he was guilty of to confess unto the priest. This was heedlessness in him, for if he had observed his own ways, he would have found sins enough to have confessed. Many are heedless that they do not take notice of their own evils. Beloved, this is a common and an ordinary defect. There are many, when they come to prayer, though they have manifold sins in them, yet they are so confused so indistinct in the knowledge of their own ways that they have only general confessions. Lord, we have sinned. Lord, we have done evil in thy sight, but cannot call to mind any particular sin that they have done. Was it never thus with you that ye did not know what to bewail to God and what to lament of in his presence? This is a defect that godly men are often plunged into. A second defect in the confession of sin to God is this, when men in prayer do confess many sins to God, yet do leave out their master and predominant sins, 
Many men are large in confession, yet do leave out their master's sins. Moses, though a good man, yet was faulty in this regard. God commanded him to go to Egypt to deliver his people. But, saith Moses, I am not eloquent. I am of a slow speech. He did complain of a natural defect, but he did not complain of a spiritual defect. God did answer all his pleas in Exodus 4.19. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return unto Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. Verse 20, And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. So that here God put his finger upon upon the sore. Moses complained of the people's incredulity incredulity uh, of his own natural infirmity but Moses did not complain of his slavish fear that if he should go to Egypt there were men that would kill him till God did assure Moses that those men that sought to kill him were dead Moses would not go here a good man would not confess his slavish fear that he did fear death therefore he would not go on God's command Beloved, this is a defect that doth many times cleave to godly men to to leave out their predominant sins and to confess sins, but of an ordinary inclusion. A third defect in confession of sin to God is this, to have the heart to hanker after the committing of those sins you do confess. Austin doth ingenuously acknowledge this of himself, saith he, I did often beg strength of God against the sin of incontinency, and yet had often an unwillingness in my heart that God should hear my prayers, lest I should leave my sins. Indeed, conviction of conscience doth force to confession of sin, yet the strength of thy depraved affection doth make thee hanker after the sin, and cause a loathness to leave it. The fourth defect in confession of sin to God is this. To confess to God the sins of your life, but not the sins of your nature. Many men will be large in confessing the sins of their life, but seldom or never bewail the sins of nature, that vicious inclination in the heart to sin. Very few, but David in the Old Testament and Paul in the New, who did sufficiently confess original sin. David in the Old Testament, Psalm 51, there he begins to bewail the root of those sins which he was guilty of. So Paul, Romans 7, bewails the body of sin. Many men bewail actual sin, but not habitual sin, not original sin. Many men bewail bad actions, but never confess unto God their vicious inclination. This defect good men many times are guilty of. A fifth defect is this, to confess gross and open sins, but not to confess small and secret evils. We are commanded to keep the law as the apple of our eye. Proverbs 7.2 Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Now you know, a man that keeps his eye will not only keep his eye from great blows, but will keep it from small motes, which may put out the eye as well, as a great blow. Men should not only take heed of great blows, great transgressions, but they should take heed of lesser motes, 
small sins. Now, beloved good men, many times commit those sins that are infamous, that the natural light of conscience can control them for, why those evils are complained of and confessed, but secret evils, wandering thoughts and duties, vanity of mind, the deadness of the heart, empty of spiritual meditations, inward distrust, these evils are seldom bewailed and confessed. This is many times a defect found in good men. Good men are not so apt to confess a mission of good as commission of evil. A sixth defect in confession of sin to God is this, to confess sin more because of its guilt than of its spot. By My meaning is, more because sin hath a damning power than a defiling nature. More because sin damns thy soul uh, than defiles thy conscience. A child would touch a coal, though it be smutty and soily, but he forbears to touch it merely because it is a burning coal. We forbear sin because sin is a burning coal, but we do not forbear to touch it because it is a defiling coal. That is a defect in many godly men to be found. A seventh defect in confession of sin to God is this, to confess those sins to God, which if men should charge us with, we should deny and be angry. This holy greenum doth take notice of in men's confession of sin. Thou wilt confess thy pride to God, but if a man should say, Thou art proud, thou wouldst be angry with him. Thou wilt confess thy ways to God, but if men should tell thee of thy sins, thou wouldst be angry with them. This shows there is much defect in your confession. The eighth defect in confession of sin unto God is this, not to have the heart sensibly affected with those sins that are confessed to God. Many confess as if they were telling stories, rather, what other men did than what themselves did. There are few who that confess sin as the prodigal did, that he was ashamed to be called the son of his father. But many confess sin like Pharaoh, Exodus 9.27, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron, and said unto them, I have sinned this time, the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Verse 34, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder were ceased, he sinned yet more, and hardened his heart, he and his servants. The ninth defect in confession of sin to God is this, to content yourselves with slight, ordinary, and general confession of sins, to come into God's presence and say you are sinners. This is a fault which Christians many times are guilty of. Many men rest contented with a confused and a general confession of sin when they do not come to any distinct view of their particular sins. There is a tumult in the conscience, some noise they make in a prayer, but they know nothing distinctly. But like Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, he knew he dreamt, but he forgot what his dream was. Many men do confess sin, but they know not what they do confess. You are to be humbled for these defects that may be found in your in you and in your confessing sin to God. A tenth defect in confession of sin to God is this, that they are bold and adventurous to commit the sin again, which they have confessed. They confess passion 
and afterward are bold and adventurous to run into a rage and fury. When a man shall confess on his knees he hath done thus and thus, and hath been thus and thus and thus, yet afterwards all the impressions of these confessions are defaced, and he is bold to adventure on the commission of the sin again. This is also a defect that may be found amongst good men in their confession of sin unto God. Methinks I hear you ask me, but seeing these defects are found amongst us, then in confession of sin to God, what should we do to be helped against these defects? For answer, that you may not be guilty of these defects in confession of sin, first get a clear insight into God's law, that it may discover sin to you. By the law is the knowledge of sin, Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. James 1.23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, Verse 24, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. The looking-glass will show you the blemishes in the face, which the eye cannot itself uh, cannot else discern. Beloved, get a knowledge of the spiritualness of God's law, of the extent of God's law, that the law doth reach the inward man, that God's law reacheth to those very first emotions of the soul those very inclinations to sin that are in thine heart. Be acquainted with the law, and by that thou wilt come to the knowledge of sin. Physicians have used this remedy to their uh, patients. In a convulsion fit, they would wish them at that time to look their face in a glass, and that when the patient does see what an ugly countenance he hath, and what an ugly posture he is in at that time. He might strive the more against it. So do you. Look your face in a looking glass to see those deformities that are within you. This will make you confess, and this will bring you on your knees. Secondly, if you would confess sin aright, observe diligently your own ways and hearts. Proverbs 4.25 Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee, Verse 26, ponder the path of thy feet and let thy all thy ways be established. Look right before you and ponder the ways of your, of your feet. And that is the way to have you established and to keep you from falling. Keep a distinct knowledge over your hearts and ways. Thirdly, keep fresh in your remembrance some particular sin or other when you come to prayer. It will help you in confession. It is barrenness, as I told you, that you do not see what matter you have to confess that makes you so scanted in your confession. Would you but present some particular sin when you come to God, you would be in better plight to confess sin to God. This the psalmist doth, 50, uh, 51 verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. He means the sin of adultery. When David came to prayer, he would put before his eyes the sin of adultery. Now, set thy sin before thee. Art thou a drunkard? Set thy drunkenness before thee. Art thou an adulterer? Set thy uncleanness before thee. Art thou an extortioner? Then set thy oppression before thee. Set sin before thine eyes when thou comest 
to prayer. And that is the way to feed thy spirits with confessions to God in prayer. Fourthly, call to remembrance some old transgression of many years past before thy conversion, and muster up these sins together, that so thou mightest have matter of complaint and confession before God. Suppose present guilt doth not come up before thee, then recollect and review old transgressions, sins of an old date. This David did when he, he found his heart dull and sluggish, he would call to mind the sins of his youth. Psalm 19. When you see that your hearts grow barren of spiritual matter through heedlessness, go then and ransack your old ways. What did you twenty years ago? Let conscience gall you for that, that so you may have matter enough to confess unto God. This rule doth not appertain to Christians under trouble of conscience, but only to those Christians that are sluggish and barren of any spiritual complaints, and confessions in God's presence. A word of use, further for direction, if it be so that justified persons are bound to make secret confessions unto God, then first Christians keep a heedfulness over your hearts that you may not let sin go unconfessed. Make conscience and be heedful that sin committed by you may not be unconfessed. A sin unconfessed as to the apprehension, may be unpardoned. A sin unconfessed cannot be mourned for, cannot be actually repented of. Observe that a less uh, sin unrepented of may damn a man, when a greater sin that is confessed to God may be pardoned. If you compare Saul and David together, 1 Samuel 15, 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, and of the fatlings and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Saul did there commit a far less sin than David's was, to wit, adultery. Saul did only, for his private use, spare the fattest of his sheep and oxen. It was a little, it was little or nothing in comparison of David's sin. And yet, behold, David was pardoned, and Saul damned. David had his sin pardoned, and Saul not. Why? David did confess sin, and Saul not. Saul did delude uh, the reproof of Samuel, and told him the people did it, not I. Saul's sin, unconfessed, ruined him. Therefore take heed of letting sin go unconfessed. A less sin, uh, unconfessed, may damn a man, when a greater sin that is confessed may not damn him. A second direction is this, depend not upon the most enlarged in the most sensible confessions that ever you have made to God. Suppose thou hast poured out thy soul to God, thou art never the better. O thou, O man, when thou confessed sin, thou doest but like a beggar, show God thy, thy sores, thy botches and scabs. Do not depend on your confessions, as you must not depend on your righteousness, so not upon confession of your sinfulness. It is worth your observation, Saul, pursuing David like a partridge over the mountains. David cut off the lap of his garment, and saith David, Well, I have sinned, and Saul, thou art more righteous than I. When Nathan came to David, David said, I have sinned, and Nathan told him, The Lord hath taken away thine iniquity. 
Saul said, I have sinned. Yet the prophet Samuel told him, The Lord hath taken away thy kingdom. Here is not the the same result, for David had his sin taken away, and Saul had his kingdom taken away. Therefore do not depend on your confessions. Thirdly, take this direction that when you confess sin to God and are the most vile in your own eyes, you are then most amiable in God's eye. Canticle 1.6 Look not upon me because I am black, because the Son hath looked upon me. The church there confessed to Christ, I am black and not comely. She was sunburnt, as she thought. But in verse 8, My love, my dove, thou art the fairest among women. Christ looked on her as the fairest among women. So likewise in Canticle 2.14, O my dove that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. When the poor dove, the church, lay in a hole under the stairs, bewailing and mourning like a dove for her sinfulness, O saith Christ to her, let me see thy face, and let me hear thy voice. Christ doth love to hear the moan makings of his people. Jeremiah 31.18 I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me and I shall be turned. Thou art the Lord my God. It is worth your notice, Job, when he was afflicted by God and having botches and boils all over his body. It is said Job made his complaint to God. Chapter 7 verse 20 I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? I have sinned, saith Job, but what doth God say to, of Job? In all this, Job sinned not. Job one twenty two. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. It was not spoken absolutely, he sinned not, but the meaning is, he sinned not so far, uh, not so as other men sinned, The more you bewail, condole, and confess sin to God, and are by reason thereof vile in your own eyes, the more amiable you are in God's eyes. And thus I have done with the first part of the text. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, 
Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.